Hello, and welcome to the Allergy, Immunology, and Inflammation Assembly podcast. I am very pleased to have Christina Monty-Mayer as our guest today to discuss the current therapeutic advances in cystic fibrosis. Dr. Monty-Mayer is an instructor of medicine at John Hopkins University, and her clinical interests are in sex and gender differences and pulmonary exacerbations in individuals with cystic fibrosis. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Monty-Mayer, and for taking the time to discuss this topic. Of course, I'm happy to be here today and excited to, to talk about some advances in CF. Wonderful. Well, as a physician, what led you to pursue your clinical specialty and focus on caring for those patients with cystic fibrosis? I think I really became kind of interested and fascinated during my residency time and taking care of um, CF patients on our inpatient pulmonary service. And I think what I really liked the most was being able to kind of form that longitudinal connection with the patients and, you know, care for them in the inpatient setting, as well as being able to see them in clinic um, and work with them in the outpatient setting as well. It's really wonderful to hear what inspired you and drew you to the field. Thank you so much for sharing. Moving into our discussion today on current therapies, can you briefly tell us about the existing treatment options for those patients with CF? Sure. In addition to CFTR modulator therapies, many of our patients with CF are on mucociliary clearance therapies, as well as pancreatic enzyme supplementation. Additionally, there are some ongoing studies actually looking at anti-inflammatory therapies that some patients may be eligible for. As many of the therapies focused on targeting CFTR to restore its function, how do these different CFTR modulators work? As a quick overview, uh, people with CF have a mutation in the CFTR gene, which results in a defective CFTR protein being produced, or some people actually have no protein that's produced at all. This results in the inability to move chloride in this water to the cell surface, causing a buildup of mucus and organs, such as the lung and pancreas. With the buildup of mucus in the lungs, people with CF are prone to pulmonary infections and inflammation, leading to enlarged airways. Likewise, in the pancreas, there's also a buildup of mucus that prevents pancreatic enzymes from being released properly, leading to malabsorption and weight loss. As you mentioned, Michelle, CFTR modulators were designed to restore CFTR function and allow the CFTR protein to function properly. So these therapies only work in those people with CF with certain mutations. So knowing which mutations an individual has is a key to starting modulator therapy. Thank you, Dr. Montemayor. That was a wonderful introduction and explanation to CFTR protein and modulator therapies. Can you discuss in more detail the CFTR therapies that are currently available? There are currently four CFTR modulators available. In 2012, Ivacaftor was approved for those individuals with a G551D mutation, also known as a gating mutation, which only affects about 4 to 5% of the CF population. Ivacaptor is known as what's called a potentiator. So Ivacaptor works by binding to the defective CFTR protein at the cell surface and holding the gate or chloride channel open to allow chloride to exit the cell. Three years later, in 2015, Lumacaptor Ivacaptor was approved for those individuals with two copies of the Delta 5 FO8 mutation. This is the most common mutation in the CF population. In this combination, Lumacaftor is known as a corrector. So Lumacaftor works to help restore the proper shape of the CFTR protein, traffics the protein to the cell surface, and helps the protein stay at the cell surface longer. And again, Ivacaftor being the potentiator, works at the cell surface to hold that chloride channel open. In 2017, 
Tezacaptor ibicaptor was approved for those individuals with CF with two copies of the Delta 5 FO8 mutation, as well as a single copy of 26 specified mutations. Tezacaptor, like Lumacaptor, is a corrector and works the same way, but has been shown to have less side effects and better tolerated than Lumacaptor. Thank you so much for giving us a background on Ivacaptor and other combination therapies. But more recently, there was a triple combination therapy approved. Do you mind commenting on that? Sure. In 2019, Alexacaptor, Tezacaptor, Ivacaptor, also known as triple combination therapy, was approved for those individuals with CF with at least one copy of the Delta F508 mutation. Alexacaptor, like Tezacaptor, is a corrector which helps the protein restore shape and travel to the cell surface, while Ivacaptor, still working as a potentiator, works to keep that chloride channel open, all restoring balance of chloride and water. Prior to approval of triple combination therapy, approximately 60% of individuals with CF were eligible for modulator therapies. Now, close to 90% of the CF population can receive CFTR modulator therapy, with the most recent one being this triple combination therapy. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for giving us a, a nice overview of what CFTR modulator therapies are available for those patients with CF. And I think it's remarkable that we've we found a way to, to target the CFTR defect or the malfunctioning protein in order to um, be able to help a large majority of patients with cystic fibrosis. And so what clinical benefits have you seen for CF patients who are taking CFTR modulators? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I can comment most recently on the benefits from the triple combination therapy. You know, phase three clinical trials of triple combination therapy demonstrated improvements in lung function and respiratory symptoms while having a decrease in pulmonary exacerbations. I think one of the most rewarding experiences is actually hearing improvements directly from the patients themselves. So our patients that have been on triple combination therapy are describing how much more energy and endurance they have. Several patients have even said they started running again, playing sports, which they never would have imagined being able to do. We've also seen an increase in patients' BMI or body mass index from weight gain from better absorption of nutrients. We've also seen the amount of pulmonary exacerbations decrease dramatically. We rarely now have to admit one of our patients for IV antibiotics these days. We have treated a few patients at home with IV antibiotics or treated some patients reporting mild symptoms with oral antibiotics, but the decrease in hospital admission has been remarkable. Wow. So the, really the, the management of pulmonary exacerbations has really been helped by having patients on the triple therapy. You're exactly right, Michelle. We, we definitely have seen improvements in the, in the inpatient admission rates. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of our center, I know other centers are going to be doing some research on trying to see how many patients are still reporting maybe mild symptoms of pulmonary exacerbations, but can be effectively treated with oral antibiotics. It's wonderful that you're seeing so many pulmonary improvements with CFTR modulator therapy, but can you comment on how the CFTR targeted therapies may also modulate extrapulmonary disease for those patients with cystic fibrosis? Sure. With, with restoration of some of the CFTR protein in individuals on the CFTR modulators, there's less buildup of mucus and organs such as the pancreas. So this can actually allow for more release of pancreatic enzymes in some individuals, leading to better absorption and weight gain. 
Thus, we have seen some of our patients require lower doses of supplemental pancreatic enzyme replacement. Additionally, we've also found that some of our patients with CF-related diabetes are requiring lower doses of insulin, and some patients are also describing improvements in their sinus symptoms, so kind of less sinus infections um, since being on modulator therapy. Some of these are more, you know, anecdotal and what we've seen in our center, but fortunately there are studies such as the PROMISE study, which is a larger observational study that aims to look at improvements in both pulmonary and extrapulmonary manifestations and improvements after initiation of CFTR modulator therapy. So we've talked a lot about those patients who are really benefiting from CFTR modulator therapies. Can you tell us about your experience managing those patients with rare mutations who still may not have specific personalized therapy available to them? Yes. And as I mentioned earlier, so about 90% of the CF population now is eligible for triple combination therapy, but that still leaves about 10% of the CF population who's unable to benefit from this recent advancement. We still do have about 4 to 5% of the population that have what, what are called gating mutations, such as the mutation G551D, and are eligible for IVACAPTOR therapy. However, this still leaves about 5% of the population without any targeted therapy. We were actually just talking about this in our CFT meeting last week and discussed how we need to be mindful that this subset of the population we care for may have different needs and still may require treatment for pulmonary exacerbations and may need adjuvant therapies such as inhaled antibiotics, as well as nutritional supplements or, or tube feeds to help maintain a healthy weight. Now, you mentioned differences in, in responsiveness, and I know your clinical interests lie in gender differences. Can you comment on the influence gender may also play in drug responses for patients with cystic fibrosis? Sure, and I think this is such an important and, and timely topic. One of my research interests is looking at how men and women with CF respond to different therapies, and this is extremely important to consider when evaluating the response to CATR modulator therapies. Catherine Secunda and colleagues looked at this in a cohort of individuals taking Ivacaftor. So again, only about 4 to 5% of the CF population. But they found that females taking Ivacaftor actually had a greater reduction in their sweat chloride, as well as a greater decrease in their pulmonary exacerbation rate when compared to males. While this information contrasts prior studies demonstrating that women with CF have worse respiratory morbidity and mortality, this calls for a need to conduct further studies looking at sex and gender differences in CFTR modulator treatment response. The CF Foundation actually recognized the importance of looking at sex and gender differences and created the Women's Health Research Working Group. And this is led by Jennifer Taylor Kozar, Raksha Jane, Nora Aiken, Tracy Kazmersky, and Natalie West. Given the widespread use of highly effective CFTR modulators, there is also ongoing research being done to assess the safety of CFTR modulator use during pregnancy as well as throughout lactation. That's amazing that they've made so many advances, not only in the therapies, but in understanding how different patients may respond to these drugs and how their lives may be improved. And so with the advancements that we've made, there, what are some of the clinical challenges that you are seeing as patients with CF begin to live longer with these advanced treatment options? You know, Michelle, that's a, that's a great question. And I think we need to, you know, continue to be mindful of those individuals with CF that have advanced lung disease. While we have seen some dramatic improvements in lung function and pulmonary symptoms with CFTR modulators, there's still a subset of patients that can be identified and be referred to lung transplant centers for early discussion and evaluation of a lung transplant. In addition, we have found the need to have a heightened awareness to screen for comorbidities. So this includes screening for malignancy, especially colon cancer in people with CF, diabetes, 
heart disease, osteoporosis, as well as anxiety and depression. You know, there just needs to be ongoing collaboration with other specialties to ensure that our CF patients are receiving optimal primary care as well as subspecialty care. And I would say not a challenge, but an opportunity that I think CF patients who are now living longer are getting to now participate in is actually more reproductive health and parenting. So we actually have seen that both men and women with CF are interested in becoming parents. You know, anecdotally, we've seen the incidence of pregnancy in our adult center increase over this last year. And this may have been due to, you know, more recent improvements in lung function, now being on triple combination therapy. And we've also seen kind of with recent advances in assisted reproductive technology that men with CF now have the potential to have their own biological children. And how do you feel CF care centers and really the multidisciplinary approach to delivering care to patients, as well as the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, are contributing to the success of therapies and really providing opportunities for patients with cystic fibrosis? Yeah, the field of CF, I think, is so unique in that we have the CF Foundation to lead the efforts in scientific research, education, patient advocacy, as well as patient care. The CF Foundation's model of care delivery encompasses accrediting care centers. So there are currently more than 130 national accredited centers that patients can receive care. At these centers, the implementation of patient care is provided by a multidisciplinary team of providers. What I've loved about this approach is that at one visit, a patient can be seen by a team whose expertise involves caring for patients with CF. So this typically includes nursing, pharmacy, social work, physical therapy, respiratory therapy, a registered dietitian, and a physician. Each patient has such different needs, and this approach allows the team to provide the best possible and individualized care to each patient. With this model of care, the CF Foundation has created a national patient registry with de-identified outcome data on approximately 30,000 people with CF. This allows for opportunities for guideline development, quality improvement initiatives, and robust clinical research. I would say that the CF Foundation, CF Care Centers, multidisciplinary teams, and the patients are what helps contribute to the success of therapy. And I think we can appreciate that maybe this model looks a little bit different as our country deals with COVID-19. How does that really change the care model that you have? And what are those challenges that you may be facing when caring for CF patients virtually? Yeah, that's a great question. And I know that every kind of institution has a little bit different approach. Um, But I would say that currently right now, 100% of our visits are currently through telehealth. So I think that provides, it still provides, I think, continuity for our patients. So still provides the opportunities to provide care. But some challenges that I think that we've seen with this, well, one, just not having that in-person patient interaction. I think both the patients miss that as well as the CF team misses that that one-on-one interaction. Something that we would commonly check when a patient would come into clinic would, we would always be able to get an updated weight and we would always get updated PFTs or pulmonary function tests. And that's kind of been an important measure that we've been able to use to see how our patients are doing. I would say that about one-third of our patients right now currently do have home spirometers and are trying to get in the process of doing that at home and being able to upload it so that we still have some type of records. But I would definitely say that's been one barrier that we've noticed over time. What we have done at our center, and I imagine this is probably done at other centers, we still try to 
instill that multidisciplinary team approach. So even at one visit um, through telehealth, we'll kind of have like a breakout room where the patient can identify two or three needs that they have for the day. And we can target our other multidisciplinary members to make sure that they meet with them to address, you know, social work, dietary, or any type of pharmacological needs that they may have. Wonderful. So it's great that patients are still able to receive wonderful care through telehealth and virtually. And I think, yeah, in the face of the pandemic, all of these things look a little different than they did in, in early March, but we're finding ways to improve care or sustain care for patients, which I think is wonderful. Lastly, we've talked a lot about CFTR modulator therapies and sort of what's available currently for patients with cystic fibrosis. But can you comment on any kind of new therapies that are in the pipeline and may be available over the next few years for patients? Sure. And I think I I would say, Michelle, I think one of the things that I, one of the models I quickly realized during my attendance at my first national CF conference uh, was how excited the CF foundation is. And basically we'll work until they say, until CF CF stands for cure found. Uh, So I know the CF foundation realizes that people with CF have different mutations and respond differently to CFT or modulators. Thus, I think we can anticipate additional modulator therapies in future years. Uh, In addition, though, treatments for rare and nonsense mutations are also a focus of the foundation. So therotyping, which involves assessing responsiveness to drugs in a lab setting, is being done in over 650 rare mutations currently by the CF Foundation. Small molecule screening and transfer RNA methods are also being evaluated for those individuals with a nonsense mutation who make no CFTR protein at all. Additionally, the CF Foundation is trying to target therapies aimed at restoring CFTR function in all individuals with CF. And this can include supplying messenger RNA to cells, which will allow individuals to make normal CFTR protein. And lastly, DNA therapy is another genetic modulation method that is currently in the preclinical stages aimed at restoring normal CFTR function. Great. As the there are new therapies that are developed, how do you go about transitioning patients from one therapy to another if they may qualify for something else? Or how do you know if a patient's not responding well to a current therapy? And I think we've seen that, um, I can probably say the best kind of example of that is for the patients that we had on CFTR modulator therapy, potentially, as I mentioned, the Tezacaftor, Ivacaftor. You know, shortly after some patients were starting on that, the triple combination therapy was actually approved. I think the benefits from the triple combination therapy in phase three clinical studies have just been so robust. So patients have seen an increase in their lung function uh, by 10 to 13% over a six-month time period in those studies. And the studies also demonstrated a 63% reduction in pulmonary exacerbation rates over a six-month period. So given how robust those findings are, you know, it just made sense, I think, for most people to transition from their prior modulator therapy to the most recent triple combination therapy. So still with that, we've been monitoring though lung function, BMI, so looking for increase in weight gain, And then a big thing that we do is, you know, we always have to rely on our patients and what symptoms they're having. So there has been a handful of patients who maybe have felt differently or felt that the triple combination didn't work, and we can talk to them about potentially different strategies. But I would say, Michelle, that it is patient and provider decision that both parties need to agree on. 
That's wonderful. And I feel like with the care models, you probably have a very open line of communication with your patients and being able to, to really talk with your physician about those therapies is an important part. Exactly. And I think, you know, as most patients would, as, as I would be, if I were going to be starting a new medication, I'd want to know kind of what the side effects are and what I should be looking out for. We have, as you mentioned, a, a great care model um, and our pharmacist has just been instrumental in following up with patients, making sure all their questions are answered. And if anyone has any questions or issues at all, that open line of communication is always there. Well, thank you so much. I really feel like we had a great conversation and and really learned a lot about different advances and CF therapies that are available now and may be available in the future. And so I thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with us. Thank you, Michelle, for having me today. And I I think as we talked about, um, there's so many new advances and exciting times uh, for the CF community. Thank you so much for listening to this Allergy, Immunology, and Inflammation Assembly podcast. Please stay tuned for our next podcast in the series on current therapies in severe asthma.